إن هذا القرآن يهدي للتي هي أقوم ويبشر المؤمنين ويبشر المؤمنين الذين يعملون الصالحات أن لهم أجرا كبيرا بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يسألونك عن الأنفال قل الأنفال لله والرسول فاتقوا الله وأصلحوا ذات بينكم وأطيعوا الله ورسوله إن كنتم مؤمنين إنما المؤمنون الذين إذا ذكر الله وجلت قلوبهم وإذا تليت عليهم آياته زادتهم إيمانا وعلى ربهم يتوكلون الذين يقيمون الصلاة ومما رزقناهم ينفقون أولئك هم المؤمنون حقا لهم درجات عند ربهم ومغفرة ورزق كريم كما أخرجك ربك من بيتك بالحق وإن فريقا من المؤمنين لكارهون يجادلونك في الحق بعدما تبينك أنما يساقون إلى الموت وهم ينظرون وإذ يعدكم الله إحدى الطائفتين أنها لكم وتودون أن غير ذات الشوكة تكون لكم ويريد الله أن يحق الحق بكلماته ويقطع دابر الكافرين ليحق الحق ويبطل الباطل ولو كره المجرمون إذ تستغيثون ربكم فاستجاب لكم أني ممدكم بألف من الملائكة مردفين وما جعله الله إلا مشرا ولتطمئن به قلوبكم وما النصر إلا من عند الله إن الله عزيز حكيم إذ يغشيكم النعاس أمنة منه وينزل عليكم من السماء ماء ليطهركم به ويذهب عنكم رجز الشيطان وليربط على قلوبكم ويثبت به الأقدام 
إذ يوحي ربك إلى الملائكة أني معكم فثبتوا الذين آمنوا سألقي في قلوب الذين كفروا الرعب فاضربوا فوق الأعناق واضربوا منهم كل بنان ذلك بأنهم شاقوا الله ورسوله ومن يشاقق الله ورسوله فإن الله شديد العقاب ذلكم فذوقوه وأن للكافرين عذاب النار يا أيها الذين آمنوا إذا لقيتم الذين كفروا زحفا فلا تولوهم الأدبار ومن يولهم يومئذ دبره إلا متحرفا لقتال أو متحيزا إلى فئة فقد باء بغضب فقد باء بغضب من الله ومأواه جهنم وبئس المصير فلم تقتلوهم ولكن الله قتلهم وما رميت إذ رميت ولكن الله رمى وليبلي المؤمنين منه بلاء حسنا إن الله سميع عليم ذلكم وأن الله موهن كيد الكافرين إن تستفتحوا فقد جاء وإن تنتهوا فهو خير لكم وإن تعودوا نعود ولن تغني عنكم فئتكم شيئا ولو كثرت وأن الله مع المؤمنين يا أيها الذين آمنوا أطيعوا الله ورسوله ولا تولوا عنه وأنتم تسمعون ولا تكونوا كالذين قالوا سمعنا وهم لا يسمعون إن شر الدواب عند الله الصم البكم الذين لا يعقلون ولو علم الله فيهم خيرا لأسمعهم ولو أسمعهم لتولوا وهم معرضون يا 
Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah who created the sun and the moon and the heavens and the earth. He made man in different tribes and races, but decreed that piety is what gives us our worth. He gave us life and shall cause us to die and then resurrect us with a new rebirth. Alhamdulillah, today we are moving on to Surah Al-Anfal. And uh, before I uh, continue, just a reminder that please tweet your gems out on uh, Twitter with the hashtag YQGems. And also, inshallah, tomorrow, uh, Friday, we have our fundraiser. So those of you that watch us live, please tune in at uh, 10 p.m. Central Time in America uh, and watch the fundraiser. Then inshallah ta'ala, after that, there will be the, uh, the usual tafsir program. Uh, so today we have a special methodology we're going to be using because we're doing Surah Al-Anfal. And Surah Al-Anfal, uh, it is the shortest surah that we're dealing with uh, up until now. It's only 75 verses and it's around, you know, half a juice. And uh, it's going to be the last time that we're going to be spending an entire uh, session on a, such a sh short surah. We'll just have a few more days where we're going to be doing one surah each, and then we're going to have to double up for a few days, and then triple up for a few days. And then obviously when we get to the end, we're going to be doing a lot more surahs per every single uh, episode. So today, inshallah, what I ask all of you to do is to have a translation uh, open up, and we will skim over as much as we can of the entire surah. We have the luxury of doing this. And this is not a detailed tafsir, it's a very uh, basic level, as I've said many, many times. And uh, Surah Al-Anfal, one thing that we need to know about Surah Al-Anfal, Surah Al-Anfal is one of the early, earliest of the Madani surahs. In fact, it was revealed right after the battle of Badr, when the prisoners were still with the Muslims and they were wondering what to do with the uh, prisoners. And also when the Sahaba, when the companions were wondering what they should do with the, uh, with the war ghanima or the booty of war. And hence the name Anfal means uh, the spoils of war. And of course, for those of you that are not aware, what are the spoils of war? So after you finish a battle, uh, all of the armor, all of 
of the horses, all of the tents of the, of the opposing army, all of their possessions are now basically in your possession. This is called anfal. And there was a controversy about who should get what share and where does it all go. And this surah came down to explain uh, some of the rules and the details regarding this, uh, this uh, issue of uh, the ghanima or the spoils of war. And this entire surah from beginning to end is really about the battle of Badr. So in today's uh, episode, we're actually going to be doing a seerah and a tafsir and a summary of the surah all combined in one because that is what the surah is all about. And a, a quick rehash of what the battle of Badr was. And obviously allow me to just plug in here for those of you that haven't seen. I have obviously a detailed seerah uh, on YouTube. Many of you know about that. So uh, if you want to refresh your memory and watch the episodes about the battle of Badr along with uh, watching this this one as well that will inshallah ta'ala help you. So to recap, quick recap, the battle of Badr was the first major battle of the Muslims with the Quraysh and it took place in the second year of Hijrah, in the month of Ramadan, right now in this month of Ramadan, in the second year of the Hijrah. And the Muslims of course had been persecuted for 13 years. Many of them were killed, many of them were forced to flee to Abyssinia, and then all of the Muslims migrated to Medina. They were denied their basic freedoms uh, for two years in the boycott. They were almost killed. The Prophet ﷺ was attacked multiple times, and now the Muslims have been forced to migrate to Medina. And when they migrated to Medina, uh, this is when the offensive war begins. Mini skirmishes, the Muslims are launching now an attack back at the Quraysh and they have every right to do so according to any law of any society. What had happened to the Muslims, now they have the right to attack the economic, uh, the economic lifelines of the Quraysh. And the Muslims would uh, then uh, engage in mini skirmishes and try to cause damage to the society that had persecuted them for 13 years. And in one such instance, a very large caravan, the annual major caravan that was headed by Abu Sufyan uh, was on its way up north uh, to go to the lands of Syria. And of course you have to pass by uh, Medina at some level, you have to pass by Medina because Mecca is south, so when you're going up north you're going to pass by Medina and then you're going get, to get to the land of Syria. And of course this is referenced Rihlat al-Shita'i wa Saif, the two big caravans. So Abu Sufyan had charge of the ma the main annual uh, caravan that would have so much fortune. You can imagine like millions of dollars equivalent. And uh, the Muslims decided that they're going to attack the caravan of Abu Sufyan. However, by the time the Prophet ﷺ and around 310 or so volunteers, because Badr was a voluntary skirmish uh, in the beginning. By the time they left the city, rumors began to spread, scouts began to come back and they began to hear conflicting reports. Is there a caravan or not? And what had happened was, unbeknownst to the Muslims at the time, that Abu Sufyan had heard that the Muslims left Medina, so he took a much a larger route. And he sent word to the Quraysh that come and defend and attack the Muslims. And so the Quraysh prepared an army. The Quraysh prepared an army of around a thousand people, a massive army they had never prepared. And these people weren't just people of the Quraysh, they were mercenaries, they were hired hands as well. They brought out as well some of their slaves and their armed guards. So over a thousand people marched uh, towards uh, the, where the caravan was in order to have a offensive battle with the uh, Muslims. And at this point in time, the Muslims are hearing both of these camps. One of them is by Abu Sufyan as a caravan, and the other is by Abu Jahl with the army. And the Prophet was told by Allah that you have guaranteed victory over one of these two. 
He was told by Allah that Allah has guaranteed me victory over one of these two, meaning either Abu Sufyan or Abu Jahl. Eventually the news was confirmed that Abu Sufyan was out of range and Abu Jahl with over a thousand men armed to the hilt was now ready and prepared and the night before the battle, the Prophet sees a dream and he tells them, I saw a dream and there were not that many in number. And so this is the uh, context that encouraged them uh, uh, slightly more to engage in battle. And then when it was finally confirmed that indeed we're not going to be fighting, uh, we're not going to be attacking the caravan, it is, a it is an actual battle with uh, Abu Jahl's 1000 army. This is when the Prophet called the meeting on the plains of Badr, on the on the it was an area uh, which is like an hour and a half drive outside of Medina on the plains of Badr, and he called a meeting. Why was this meeting called? And this is important to understand the story. All of this I'm setting up the story of actual the the, the surah of Al Anfal. There were around 310 plus, yeah, and a few more people, 312, 315 people in the Battle of Badr. 90 of them were the Muhajirun, and 210 plus were from the Ansar from Medina. Now. Those 210 plus, they had taken an oath with the Prophet this famous oath of Aqaba, for defending the Prophet if he was attacked in Medina. There was no oath, they were under no obligation to now defend the Prophet in the plains of Badr, because they can go back to the city and that's it, end of story. They are under no contractual obligation. That's not what they signed up for. They were not asked to sign up for something of this nature. The asking that the Prophet said to them was that will you protect us Muslims like you protect your families if Medina is attacked? And they agreed to that and in return they were given Jannah. Now the Battle of Badr, the contract is going to be upgraded, but it has to come from them. They cannot be forced. And so the Prophet called a meeting of all of them and he asked, what do you think we should do? Should we uh, you know, stand up and, and fight back or should we retreat? And so one of the uh, Muhajirun stood up and he gave a rousing speech, we're going to, you know, we're gonna, uh, take them on. And the Prophet thanked him and sat down. A second one stood up uh, from the Muhajirun, also thanked him. The Prophet asked for a third time. The people were confused, why is he asking the same question you know, the third time? Finally, one of the uh, leaders of the Khazraj, Sa'ad ibn Ubadah, he was their main leader. Sa'ad ibn Ubadah stood up and he said, Perhaps you intending us, you want to know what the Ansar are going to do. And the Prophet silence indicated, yes, that was what uh, was intended. So then Sa'ad gave the famous response, Ya Rasulullah, if you ordered us to plunge our horses into the sea, we would do so. If you ordered us to go to the ends of this earth, we would follow you. We will not say to you the way that Musa and his followers said to Musa, that you go with your Lord and fight. Uh, we're going to sit here. No, we will say, you go with your Lord and fight and we are with you wherever you are. And so the Ansar agreed to up the contract. The Ansar agreed that they're now going to be a part of the Ummah. And that was the main and one of the main causes of the victory of the Battle of Badr. The Battle of Badr was a resounding victory. The main leaders of the Quraysh, Abu Jahl himself, uh, Utbah and Shayba ibn Rabi'ah, Al-As ibn Hisham, the father of, of Abdullah ibn Amr ibn Al-As, uh, Amr ibn Al-As's father, uh, Umayyah ibn Khalaf, the one who tortured Bilal, and the list goes on and on. Over 70 of the leaders of the Quraysh, uh, they were killed in the Battle of Badr, and the Mushrikun, they fled, and the Muslims uh, captured over 70 prisoners of war. And this is the first time that this has happened as well, and the, and the Surat Al-Anfal is gonna talk about 
about this as well. And also for the first time, they acquire a lot of wealth and that's lying there in the fields and it is for them to take. And so disputes arose, who gets how much? And that is why this surah is called Surat Al-Anfal. Now, with all of this background, let us now dive into the surah. And I hope that you have your uh, translations open up. And we inshallah, inshallah, we'll go over, you know, quite a lot of verses. We cannot read the entire translation. The surah begins, يَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْأَنْفَالِ They ask you about these bounties, the, the ghanima. Say, all of them belong to Allah and His Messenger. So be mindful of Allah and settle your differences and obey Allah and His Messenger if you are believers. From this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying the haqq or the right of the anfal and how to divide it. It goes to Allah and His Messenger. It is up to Allah to decide how it is going to be divided. And by the way, uh, the, uh, the permissibility of acquiring ghanima, it is something unique for this ummah. It didn't exist in the previous nations. Our Prophet ﷺ said, I have been given certain things no prophet before me was given. And of them, that war booty or ghanima or spoils of war has been allowed for me and no prophet before was ever allowed these spoils. So this is the first time that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing this for any, uh, for any ummah, for any generation. And then from verses two to four, Allah describes the believers. Now, the point here, the majority of the, the ghanima will indeed go to the warriors, but Allah begins in line number one by saying that, look, it is up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to decide and the believers should accept the decree of Allah. And verse number five, that your Lord has brought you out of your home with truth. And indeed, some of the believers were reluctant to get to the stage and they were arguing with you about the truth even after the matter was made clear, as if you know they're being driven to their death and that's not what is happening. Verse number seven, remember that Allah promised you one of the two groups, Abu Jahl or Abu Sufyan. Remember that Allah promised you one of the two groups, that you would be victorious. You were promised that and you wanted the group that was Abu Sufyan's. You wanted the easy group. You wanted the group that had more money, but Allah wanted something else. Allah wanted to prove the truth and Allah wanted to defeat those enemies. In other words, your vision and your plan was limited and you just wanted an easy victory with a lot of money. And Allah Azza wa Jal wanted the truth of Islam to be established. And Allah wanted to send a message to the Quraysh. And this of course shows us a reality that we all know, there is no question about this, that the plan of Allah is infinitely more wise. We are always short-sighted. We are blinded by our own you know, greedy intentions, whatever they might be. The plan of Allah is always the best plan. So Allah says in verse number eight, that this was the plan of Allah in order to confirm the truth and to nullify falsehood, even if the unbelievers did not uh, like it. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the believers that I know what I am doing and I had the best plan. And I promised you one of the two, you wanted the easier one, but I had a higher goal for you. And that is exactly what happened. Verse number nine, when you were making dua to your Lord and you were begging and pleading Him to help you, He answered you and He said, I shall reinforce you with a thousand angels in succession. The battle of Badr was not won by only 310 Muslims. The battle of Badr was won by a battalion of angels that Allah sent down. The Muslims would never have won over a thousand people who were better armed than them, who had horses than more horses than them, who had better uh, military than them. They had a hired mercenary and the Muslims Muslims were not looking for a battle. They didn't even have their full body armor. They weren't ready for a war. So they were 
pleading to Allah to help. And the books of Sirah mention that the Prophet ﷺ spent the whole night before the battle praying to Allah. And the morning of the battle, he was outside with his hands up and his hands up and his hands up for so long that his shirt, he was wearing an upper shirt, that his shirt fell off and he was left bare-chested. And Abu Bakr took his, the shirt and put it on him and said, Enough, Ya Rasulallah, Allah has heard your dua and Allah will answer your prayer. And this is the verse that this is referencing that إِذْ تَسْتَغِيثُونَ رَبَّكُمْ فَاسْتَجَابَ لَكُمْ When you were beseeching your Lord, He answered you. And how was the answer to Allah? In the first person, Allah announced to the angels that a thousand angels should go down. So a thousand angels versus a thousand men, there is not going to be that battle. And Allah only made it a message of hope and to set your hearts at rest. And indeed, وَمَنْ نَصْرُ إِلَّا مِنْ عِنْدِ اللَّهِ Victory only comes from Allah. What a simple phrase, what a power phrase, what a true phrase, victory only comes from Allah. The only one who can give us victory is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and indeed Allah is the Almighty and All-Wise. And verse number 11, And again, it's so important to read the Qur'an with a background information. And this is something that every student of knowledge knows. If you don't know the story, if you don't know why the verses came down, if you don't know the ahadith related to the verse, you will not fully understand the verse. What is all of this of drowsiness and rain coming down and cleansing? What is going on here? So the night before the battle, when people should be so nervous, when people are going to be, you know, how can you fight? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made them go to sleep so that they have strength. You know when you're nervous, sleep is almost impossible. When you have a major exam, you cannot sleep. How about when you're going to face a battle, you don't know if you're going to win or die, you're going to lose or die. And in that night before the battle, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, I made you drowsy as a security, as a peace that you slept completely the whole night. And then in the next morning when you're marching forth, instead of the soft sand, which is going to, you know, your feet are going to go into the sand, I caused the rain to drizzle just enough because too much rain would have made it muddy and it would have not been able to walk. And uh, not, no rain would be, would be just the sand. If I just send down the right amount of rain, it would make the earth firm. So your walking would be easier. And also you felt energized, you know, a little bit of rain, you feel fresh, you feel nice. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, that your, your feet and your hearts, they're becoming strong. And subhanAllah, when Allah sends His armies, what can any mortal army do against that? How can you, how can any person be so foolish as to pretend to fight the armies of Allah? Allah Azza wa Samawati wal everything belongs to Allah. The wind, the air, the skies, the rain, the sand itself is at the service of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah facilitated this for the Sahaba. And then Allah spoke to the angels and Allah inspired the angels that go and attack the people of the Quraysh. And uh, the angels indeed terrified the people of the Quraysh and the angels as the Quran is very explicit here that they went out and they fought the Quraysh. And so uh, verse number 17, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that it was not you who killed them, but it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it was not you who uh, threw the stones, but it was Allah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who did that because before the battle, right before the battle, when they could see each other and they were a long distance away, the Prophet picked up some sand, some pebbles, and he threw it in the direction of the uh, Quraysh. And all of them, they felt the, 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 
uh, the dust and they felt the pebbles uh, into their face and their eyes and they were just uh, somewhat um, blinded for a while and Allah Azza wa Jal is saying وَمَا رَمَيْتَ إِذْ رَمَيْتَ وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ رَمَى when you threw, you didn't throw, but Allah threw. What a powerful verse. When you threw, you didn't throw. He did throw. And Allah is saying, you did throw. Then Allah is saying, it wasn't just that throw. You did a little bit, yes. But it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who did the rest of it. And again, this really summarizes the reality of qadr and tawakkul. I've said this so many times. When we put our trust in Allah, when we believe in qadr, that doesn't mean we do nothing. We do what we need to do. And Allah will do the rest. Allah affirms that he threw. Then Allah says, but your throw didn't actually do the throwing. It was Allah who did the throwing. And this is the nutshell, in a nutshell, what we believe about the reality of uh, Qadr. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then mentions the reality of the Quraysh in verse 22 and 23, that these are the worst of mankind. They are deaf, dumb, and blind. They don't think. They're not understanding. And then this is a very important verse 23. If Allah had seen any good in them, if Allah knew that their hearts were pure, He would have caused them to hear. And if He had made them uh, to hear, if, if they had a little bit of khair in them, they would have been guided to Islam. This shows us a very important point here. Dear Muslims, we believe in Qadr, and we believe Allah guides whomever He wishes, and we believe whoever Allah does not guide will remain misguided. But this also shows that when people are sincere, Allah will guide them. This is a very important fact. Allah does not misguide the sincere. It is only those who are truly arrogant and are not worthy of being guided. The one who wants Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will always choose him. But the one who doesn't, and the one who doesn't have an ounce of good and doesn't want to have good, that person will never be chosen. And that's why Allah is saying here in the Quran that if Allah knew there was good in them, and there's going to be a similar verse in this later on as well. And then verse uh, 28, we're just going to skip a bit here and there. Verse number 28 that Allah is saying that you're now going to get a lot of wealth. And so realize that your wealth and your children, they are a test for you. And that Allah possesses an immense reward if you pass that test. So the Muslims now, they were impoverished before the Battle of Badr. After the Battle of Badr will be their first financial success. And then of course, within you know, a 10, 20 years, within a, a, a generation, the Muslims are gonna be a global civilization. Within a hundred years, they're gonna be a superpower. It's changing at an exponential rate. So Allah is telling them from the beginning that look, you're gonna get some money, good for you. But realize that all the wealth that you have and all the blessings that you have, they are a test. Make sure you pass the test and the rewards you will get from Allah are much better than the money and the wealth and what you had in this uh, dunya, in this world. And verse number 30, that remember when the people of the Quraysh, they plotted against you, they tried to imprison you, they tried to kill you, they tried to expel you. This is talking about the hijrah. This is when the Muslims were being persecuted, the Prophet ﷺ, you know, a year ago, barely a year uh, and a half before the Battle of Badr, the Muslims fled for their lives from Mecca to Medina. And Allah is saying, look, within a year, this victory has been given to you. They planned and Allah planned, but Allah is the best of uh, planners. And verses 32 and 33, Allah describes the Quraysh 
as mocking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that why can't Allah punish us? You talk about this punishment, then Allah is saying, well, you've had a punishment here in the battle of Badr, but the big punishment that you're asking Allah to send, now again, the Quraysh were sarcastically mocking. Where is this punishment? Where is this, you know, power of God that you're talking about? So the battle of Badr silenced them. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that I'm not going to destroy all of you while the Prophet is still alive amongst you. And I'm not going to destroy all of you as long as you're still asking for forgiveness, there's hope of repentance. In other words, the presence of the Rasul وسلم, on this earth, the presence of the Rasul وسلم, in Mecca and in Medina is enough of a blessing that Allah will lift up the punishment from the Quraysh. And then Allah is saying, even if the Rasul uh, is not going to be there at some point in time, but there is hope for your istighfar, there is hope for you to turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then the punishment is not going to come. And this really shows us the linkage of istighfar with the lifting of the punishment. We are currently in a complete lockdown crisis. This is a type of punishment and we need to increase our istighfar. Verse 36 about the financial uh, spending of the Quraysh. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is referencing the fundraising that the Quraysh did before the battle. The fundraising that they did, that they raised a lot of money and they invested a lot of money to go fight against the uh, Muslims. And Allah said of what value was all of that? But then in verse 38, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that after all that they've done, if they stop in yantahu, yughfar lahum ma qad salaf. Subhanallah. After all that they've done, if they stop, their past shall be forgiven. If there is hope, Muslims, listen to this. If there is hope for the people who tried to kill the Prophet ﷺ, who tried to kill the Muslims, and Allah is saying to them, if you stop and you repent, okay, there is hope for you, your past will be forgiven. If they can be forgiven, then how can any believer in Allah lose hope and despair of the mercy of Allah for the sins that you have committed? There is no sin worse than fighting a prophet, wanting to kill a prophet. How can those people be forgiven? Allah is saying that tell them that if they stop, and if they repent, their past shall be forgiven. And then Allah reminds us in verse number 39 that there is a reason why we are fighting. Fight them until there is no persecution. They're persecuting you. They're the ones preventing you from worshiping Allah. They're the ones expelling you from your lands. So fight them until there is no more persecution and the entire religion is established for the sake of Allah. Peace is established that Allah can be worshiped freely. That is when, uh, the, uh, that is why the fighting is done because they are persecuting you. And when the persecution stops then, Allah Ta'ala as well, you can have peace with the Quraysh, which is what happened in the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, as you all know, in the um, Seerah. In verse 41 is when the answer to the first verse comes, that who does the uh, ghanima or spoils of war belongs to? And so verse 41 is the legal uh, answer that how much is going to go here and there. And this is the books of, of legal uh, Islamic law of fiqh discuss. And realize, dear Muslims, never, ever, ever derive uh, detailed Islamic laws from a simple verse in the Quran. The verse in the Quran is the basis and then you need other verses and then you need other ahadith and then you need other evidences as well. So there's an entire science of interpretation that science is called usul al-fiqh or how we extract fiqh or the principles of uh, deriving fiqh. So that is an entire branch, it's a separate branch of Islamic uh, law. 
it is not appropriate to just open up the Quran and take a verse and then derive a ruling. The Quran is the basis, yes, but the Quran tells us to go to the Sunnah. And the Quran is revealed in Arabic, so you need to know Arabic. So there's a whole science involved with uh, interpretation. The point being, this verse, it tells us that uh, in a nutshell, four-fifths of the, the spoils shall return back to the warriors and one-fifth will go to the state. So the army will get four-fifths. Now, if somebody says, how come verse one says all of it belongs to Allah and then verse 41 says four-fifths belongs to the, uh, to the uh, uh, army? The response is Allah is saying in verse number one, I have the right to decide. And then in verse 41, Allah is deciding. And Allah's decision is one-fifth of the anfal will go to the state. And the state will then deal with it and give it to the orphans and give it to the poor people and give it to the, you know, the widows. So all of the, the list is mentioned there. Uh, and four-fifths of this uh, ghanima or the spoil shall be returned back to the uh, people who are fighting in that uh, battle. So this is how the Muslims then uh, resolved that issue. Verse 42 is another uh, reminder about the reality of belief in Qadr, in predestination. That Allah is telling them that if the both of you had planned this meeting, if the both of you wanted to participate in the battle of Badr and you wanted to have a fight, you would never have done so. Disagreements would have happened about the timing, the place, the methodology, the conditions, but Allah's plan was that you meet. And Allah's plan was that the battle of Badr take place. And so Allah's plan that was already predetermined, the plan was indeed planned by Allah. And your planning could not unplan the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this is the point of verse 42, that look, Allah had already willed this. It was the qadr of Allah. And Allah is saying, if I had delegated this responsibility to the both of you, you would not have been able to do it. But Allah did it. It was Allah's will and even if you didn't plan it, it was indeed the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Verse uh, 43, you have to understand the story behind it. I remember we said that the Prophet saw a dream and uh, the people that he saw in the dream were fewer in number. And so Allah says that remember when Allah caused uh, you know, the Prophet to see the dream and he saw fewer people. Now, this is a deeper point here and that is that Allah says in the Quran, وَلَوْ أَرَاكَهُمْ كَثِيرًا لَفَشِلْتُمْ وَلَتَنَازَعْتُمْ فِي الْأَمْرِ If Allah had showed you their numbers as being a lot, the thousand, you would have lost your resolve and you would have not proceeded onwards. وَلَكِنَّ اللَّهَ سَلَّمْ But Allah saved the situation because He knows your hearts. Now, can somebody ask, is this a type of deceit that the Prophet saw fewer people rather than the actual number? The response is no, not at all. Because... The question, what he saw in the dream, let's suppose he saw instead of a thousand, he saw 100 or 200 or 300. Suppose he saw 200. Those 200 that he saw, is that valid that there were 200 people? Yes or no? The answer is yes. Were they only 200? The dream did not say. The dream only was that he saw some people. Now, what is the point here? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling the Sahaba that if you knew their actual numbers before the battle, you wouldn't have engaged. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He showed that dream to the Prophet and the interpretation that the Prophet got was that there were less than a thousand. It was not something explicit. And the Sahaba felt a type of encouragement. Okay, we can fight this, we can do that. And so Allah says, it was a gift to you. Now in hindsight, you understand. Now that it's all over, you won the battle. Now you understand why this is taking place. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in verse 44, 
that not only did I gift a dream, I actually did another miracle on the battlefield. Both of you saw each other to be much less than you actually were. So when you met, he made them appear as fewer in your eyes, and he made you appear as fewer in their eyes. So that Allah may conclude a predetermined matter, and indeed all affairs go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Once again, what is happening here? So both sides are seeing the other side as fewer. And in fact, it is narrated that when the Battle of Badr was beginning, one of the Muslims turned to another and said, these aren't a thousand, how many do you think they are? I think they are a hundred. And another said, no, I think they're even less than a hundred. So when they're looking at all of this, they're not even seeing what is going to happen when the Muslims see the Quraysh as being 50. They're going to feel more uh, power, more energy. And that's exactly what happened. They fought with a more power and a bravery that would not have existed if they saw the actual number. So it was a gift to the Muslims. And that gift, they saw the results. As for the Quraysh, when they saw the Muslims to be rather than 300, they saw them as let's say 50 or 100, they would have become more foolish and more arrogant and they're marching towards their death. And so when the Quraysh saw the Muslims as fewer in number, this was bait, this was enticement. When the Muslims saw the Quraysh as fewer in number, this was a means of making them braver and stronger. And subhanAllah, the same tactic on both different sides had a different result. And this is what Allah is saying. I gifted this to you. Once again, when Allah is on your side, when the armies of Allah are on your side, how can you possibly lose? Nobody else can do these tactics. No superpower can do these tactics. This is only the Lord of the worlds who can bring in these tactics. And then Allah Azza reminds them, that when you're going to fight, stand firm. Remember Allah, verse number 45, verse number 46. Obey Allah and His Messenger. Do not fight amongst yourselves because if you fight amongst yourselves, then you will falter, you will lose your courage. Be steadfast, verse 47. Be sincere and do not show off. And so all of this tells us one of the main reasons for being victorious in a battle is that we obey Allah and His Messenger, that we have unity amongst ourselves. We do not bicker. There must be a complete unity amongst ourselves, that we do whatever we do for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There must be no uh, showing off. There must be no arrogance involved. Move on to uh, verse number uh, 60 that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لَهُمْ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ مِنْ قُوَّةِ Now this is really interesting. The whole chapter has told us so many miracles that Allah gifted the Muslims. So many miracles were given to them. I made you sleep the night before. I made the earth firm for you. I gave you this dream. I made this, I did that. I sent the angels down. Despite all of those miracles, Allah is telling the Muslims, Prepare for them as much as you can. Go out and train. Make sure you have horses. Make sure you have bows and arrows. Make sure you have weapons. All of this is very explicit and it shows us the reality that once again, and I've said this so many times, but this is the message of the Quran. Tawakkul in Allah and Qadr doesn't mean that you just sit back and you expect the miracles to happen. No, you have to do your utmost and this verse is so powerful. As much as you can be prepared, as much as you can be ready to engage with them in battle. Of all types of strength, and it is narrated that our Prophet said the best strength is archery. The best strength is archery, meaning 
that for the time frame, obviously for the time of that uh, era, what is better than archery? Because archery, of course, is long distance. You are going to be able to uh, uh, fire volleys of arrows, you know, so far away. Whereas when you're fighting combat, you know, one on one, then obviously it's far more dangerous. So obviously, in our times, anything. And of course, uh, our scholars of, of of modern times do mention that uh, this verse isn't just for physical. It is for all types of battle. And in today's era, and in today's, you know. Uh, uh, global village, some of the best mechanisms that we can prepare is that on the intellectual battlefield, that on the uh, uh, the debate battlefield, preparing uh, mechanisms to discuss the reality of Islam, the validity of Islam. This is also It comes under here as well. And this is not to negate that at times, you know, our religion does tell us to defend physically. I'm not negating that at all, but I'm saying this verse also applies. And especially for us who are living in, in areas and places and times where uh, the physical aspect is not something that is being done anymore, okay, there is the intellectual battle as well. And that is something that encourages every one of us to arm ourselves intellectually, to study the religion, to know our faith, and then to engage in positive dialogue, in positive speech, and to become active in our communities and societies. Any quwa that we have, any uh, you know, uh, power that we have, we can utilize it for the service of Islam. And uh, in verse number uh, 61, and by the way, of course, I forgot to mention that even uh, in the battles, our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he utilized different mechanisms. He himself, by the way, wore armor in the battle of Uhud, which was going to be a very severe battle. He wore two coats of armor, like a double coating of armor. So this is the reality of tawakkul. You do what you can as much as you can to the best that you can. Then and only then will Allah gift you the miracles. The miracles will come, but you have to put in that effort as well. Uh, verse number 61 is particularly important. وَإِن جَنَحُوا لِسَّلْمِ فَجَنَحْ لَهَا When we were doing the battle of Badr, I said a phrase, and I'm going to repeat it over here. There are, and let's be honest here, there are you know, different interpretations of the concept of jihad. This is not the time and place to go into all of them. Uh, but it is obvious that there are you know, small groups of Muslims that uh, have a, a very, very atypical interpretation that becomes very violent and uh, you know, it is uh, a type of a modern uh, guerrilla warfare or terrorism of our times. And they are engaging in, in, in militancy and in acts of, of killing civilians and whatnot. And they are quoting the Quran and they're quoting their message directly from the Quran. And the majority of Muslims, the vast majority of them, alhamdulillah, they don't sympathize with these types of groups. They don't, understand, they don't see these groups as being faithful to the religion. And I said something in Surah Al-Baqarah and I'll repeat it again. Those who want to cherry pick verses and construct an alternative narrative, they can do so. They will find such verses. But those who want to look at the holistic message of the Quran, and especially the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, and those who want to stick with the mainstream body of the ummah, because that is also a part of our religion. We are the ummatan wasata. We are the khaira ummatin, the best of all ummah. We are the middle and the moderate nation. 
as the majority of Muslims and the majority of scholars, alhamdulillah, they will easily be able to construct a narrative that is faithful to the Quran and it is not terroristic, it is not bloodthirsty Islam. It is an Islam that is predominantly and the base default is peace. And this verse over here, which was revealed at the Battle of Badr, which was at the pinnacle of the conflict. The Battle of Badr did not take place in the time of peace. The Battle of Badr was at the pinnacle of conflict between the Quraysh and uh, Muslims. And read verse 61. Read it. What does Allah say? If they incline towards peace, then you as well incline towards peace and put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are not fighting for the sake of fighting. Islam is not a bloodthirsty religion. Islam does not aim to just kill, kill, kill. No. If they incline towards peace, you as well incline towards peace. The Battle of Badr, was the result of what the Quraysh themselves had done for 13 years. If the Quraysh weren't as evil as they were, there would not have been a battle of Badr. And therefore, in Islam, the default is indeed peace. There is no denying this. And that's what the Quran itself is saying. And that's why, of course, in our times, uh, many modern ulama and all the fiqh councils of the world and whatnot, they are all uh, understanding the modern world to be a place where, generally speaking, we are engaged in treaties with other countries. We are a part of a global network. And so they have extracted very reasonable, very uh, uh, sensible laws based on the Quran and obviously you will always have smaller groups that are you know um, anybody who doesn't agree with them becomes a type of sellout that's the reality of the ummah we just have to uh, we just have to deal with it. in any case verse 61 is very important in this regard we do not fight for the sake of fighting if they let us live in peace then we will let them live in peace as well. But if they will not let us live in peace like the Quraysh then we have no alternative except to uh, fight them as well. Uh, and uh, verse 62 and 63, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us of some of the blessings that He has given the Muslims. He is the one that has supported you with His aid. He is the one. All of this help comes from Allah. And Allah helped you with the believers as well. Allah helped you with the believers. Verse 63, And He caused all of your hearts to be united. لو أنفقت ما في الأرض جميعا ما ألفت بين قلوبهم ولكن الله ألف بينهم. This is one of the most oft-quoted verses of Surah uh, Al-Anfal, and it is a powerful verse. Had you spent everything on earth, had you spent all the money in the world to bring these groups together of the believers and to unite their hearts, you wouldn't have been able to do so. But Allah united their hearts, for indeed Allah is almighty and all wise. What is Allah referencing? The Aus and the Khazraj in particular, they were at war with one another for two generations. There was a feud between the Aus and the Khazraj, and that feud was nasty and ugly. And that feud had caused hundreds of their seniors on both sides to uh, be killed. 
And that feud was one of the main causes where there was a power vacuum and they felt that they needed an external person to come in because internally there was just too much history between the Aus and the Khazraj. So when Islam came along, the Aus and the Khazraj willingly embraced it and they saw in the Prophet ﷺ someone who was a healer, someone who could unite and that's exactly what happened. So they invited the Prophet ﷺ to come. And this is what Allah is referencing, that the Aus and the Khazraj, these two tribes of Medina, of Yathrib at the time, they would never have come together under the same banner. They would never have viewed each other as brothers. Add to this mix the Muhajirun, because there's three, uh, technically there's three groups here, the Muhajirun from Mecca, the Aus and the Khazraj from Medina. And all three of them are one team, despite the fact that the Muhajirun have no blood ties with the Ansar, with the Aus and Khazraj, and the Aus and Khazraj themselves have a bitter feud that goes back a generation and a half, two generations, and there is no way that they would have come together, but Allah brought them together. And what this shows us, dear Muslims, is that whomever Allah wants you to reconcile with, you can reconcile. It is Allah, Mu'allif al-Qulub, one of the characteristics or adjectives of Allah, Ya Mu'allif al-Qulub, the one who brings friendship between the hearts. So remember this verse, and anytime you have a problem with somebody, anytime you think, I'm never gonna be you know, that person's friend, or you have a bitter you know, dispute with your cousin or with your relative or whatnot, remember this verse. And remember, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can bring about a friendship like nothing else can. Not all the money in this world can do what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do. So Allah is indeed qawiyun aziz. Uh, in verses uh, 64 to 66, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, he, he mentions certain aspects about numbers and ratios. And what this means is that the basic uh, premise is that smaller numbers are going to overcome larger ones if they are firm, if they remain firm to their, uh, to their uh, principles. And uh, this uh, notion, of course, what, it, what, what our scholars have derived from this is that uh, in cases of battle, uh, if there's a smaller group versus a larger one, when are you allowed to just call it quits? When are you allowed to just call it, okay, it's not gonna work here? The ratios are mentioned in these verses. First, the ratio is given as much higher, then Allah is saying, I know that you are not able to live up to that, so I'm going to reduce the ratio. And so the ratio comes basically one to 10 people, that uh, uh, one to two people, if that is the case, then uh, you're not allowed, you, you must remain firm. And uthbutu, remain firm as you are challenging the other side. Uh, verse 67 is the famous dispute that happened. Verse 67 is the famous dispute that happened over the prisoners of war. And this dispute, it goes back to the issue of what is to be done with the 70 plus uh, people who had been uh, captured in the Battle of Badr. And this is the first time that the Muslims have uh, these prisoners of war. And this dispute actually, uh, the, the Prophet Sallallahu he called uh, the uh, Sahaba and he called them together, he said, what can we do, what should we do about all of these uh, prisoners of war? And they differed amongst themselves. One group, and this is human nature, like you have a course of action and you know, your, your personalities are gonna come into play. There was one group of Sahaba, they looked at the, the positives of reconciliation. They said, Ya Rasulullah, in the end of the day, they're all, we're all part of one tribe. Let's just forgive and let's just you know, release them and get some ransom. And another uh, group of, of, of uh, Sahaba said, Ya Rasulullah, uh, we need to send a message. These people tried to kill us. 
We need to send a message that we cannot tolerate this. This is not acceptable. You're going to war and you're sending an army. You're the ones who started all of this. We need to just end it by being harsh. And you know, subhanAllah is difficult because sometimes justice is harsh and sometimes mercy wins hearts over. When do you do, when do you decide to be strict with the justice and when do you decide to forgive? It's not an easy, it's not an easy question at all. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is indeed, yani He is Al-Aziz and Al-Hakim. He is the one who knows when to be strict and He is the one, the default of course is forgiveness. So the Sahaba began differing amongst themselves what is to be done. And one group said forgive and ransom. The other group said no, we need to send a message. These are uh, the worst of the worst. They tried to kill us. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed after the Prophet decided to go with the first group just to forgive and to ransom. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed that you, you chose a decision that wasn't the best and I've forgiven you for it. You shouldn't have done that. So Allah azza wa jal said, the better option would have been if you took it, the better option would have been that you send the message and that's what Allah is saying. That uh, it's not befitting that you just ransom them off. It, it seems like a sign of weakness until you have the upper hand. Right now you do not have the upper hand. Right now you are starting at the bottom and it's good to send that message. But Allah said, I have forgiven you, let's move on now. So he allowed and he accepted that their decision was to, and this really shows us subhanAllah that sometimes, and indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, he allowed the Muslims to do that. Of course, if he wanted to, he would have revealed the Quran before, but it is up to Allah's wisdom. And uh, he accepted the decree of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Of course, Allah knew he would accept it. It's not as if it's something yani, uh, uh, not predetermined. Everything is predetermined. So what happened was that at, after the Battle of Badr, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa then uh, allowed all of these 70 prisoners uh, to ransom themselves off uh, by paying a certain amount. And each prisoner was given an amount that was appropriate for his wealth. And this is amazing. They didn't have the same number. No, the poor prisoner was let off with a smaller amount. The poorest of the poor who didn't have anything, it is said that 10 of them did not have any wealth whatsoever. So the Prophet sallallahu let them free and he set them, sent them back with the condition that they teach 10 of the children of the Ansar how to read and write. So education was even valued in the Battle of Badr, that they didn't have any money, but they had a skill and a talent. So the Prophet told them that teach, you know, some of the children of the Ansar to read and write, and then you will be let go. But those who had the money and those who had the wherewithal, they got ransom. And the more money they had, the higher was their uh, ransom. And the richest of the Quraysh, they had the highest ransom. Some of them had 4,000 dinars, that's a large amount of money. And of them was Al-Abbas, the uncle of the Prophet Sallallahu So when the Prophet told him his amount, Al-Abbas said, Ya Rasulullah, uh, you know, his nephew, and at the time he was not a Muslim, I don't have that much money. Uh, you can check my house, I don't have that much money. And the Prophet said, that how about that money that you hid at such and such a place and you only told your wife, uh, Umm al-Fadl, and only the two of you know that there was a treasure hidden in case something happens to you. And when he heard this, he knew that the Prophet 
must have heard this from Allah because that was a secret conversation that Al-Abbas radiallahu anhu, he had a secret stash, he had a hidden treasure that he had told his wife about that if anything happens to me, there's a good amount of money buried over there. And so the Prophet said, how about that money you told your wife once upon a time? That was Jibreel telling him uh, at the time. So Allah is now telling the Prophet and the Muslims, verse number 69, so go ahead and take this, this ransom and you may use this ransom now it is permitted for you. Even though uh, the previous verse said that, that you shouldn't have done that, Allah is saying, okay, now you've done it, I've forgiven, you can consume what you have gained and remain conscious of Allah and Allah is forgiving and merciful. And then in verse 70, O Prophet, say to those whom you hold as prisoners, if Allah finds any good in your hearts, He will give you better than what has been taken away and He will forgive you and Allah is forgiving and merciful. This verse in particular is a reference to Al-Abbas and overall to all of the people of Badr who eventually converted. Because Al-Abbas he said, this verse when it came down, I know it applies to me because Allah took something from me and he gave me back much more and he gave me back much better. He gave me Islam and he gave me more than what was taken away from me. And Abbas became a wealthy person after he embraced Islam. And so verse 70, once again, this issue of if Allah knows that there's good in your heart, and this is a reality that we still apply to this day, Allah does not misguide the sincere. If Allah knows there's good in your heart, Allah will give you back more than what has been taken away at the battle of uh, Badr. And the final verses of this surah, uh, they deal with uh, protections and loyalties and alliances. And the message is very clear that believers need to be united, that the believers, their bonds are stronger than anything else. And uh, those who do not believe in Islam, they, even if they fight amongst themselves, but they will unite against Islam. And we see this so many times, you know, even in our times as well, that those who have even within themselves differences, the one thing they will have in common is that they would want to uh, unite against the Muslim Ummah. And so Allah is saying, If you do not unite, then they will unite and they're going to cause a lot of fitna and fasad. And this really shows us the importance of Muslim unity, the importance of transcending our geographic regions and nation states and other loyalties. The Ummah is one body and that is a reality the Quran keeps on uh, mentioning and it explicitly says, that because the Muslims united at the Battle of Badr, that is why they were successful. In the Battle of Uhud, which is going to take place the next year, the Muslims did not unite. And the Muslims differed amongst themselves and that led to uh, a bit of an issue and a crisis as you know and that was explicitly mentioned there. So this concludes our uh, Surat Al-Anfal and as I said, the main takeaway, it is about the victory of Badr and why it was given uh, to them. Insha'Allah ta'ala, uh, tomorrow we will continue and do a very long surah. We're going to now go back to our old style of basically summarizing the entire surah and that is uh, Surat uh, At-Tawbah, also called Surat Al-Bara'ah. Until then, Jazakumullahu Khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Shahr Ramadan al-Ladhi فيه القرآن هدى للناس وبينات من الهدى والفرقان فمن شهد منكم الشهر فليصمه ومن كان مريضا أو على سفر 
فعدة من أيام أخر يريد الله بكم اليسر ولا يريد بكم العسر ولتكملوا العدة ولتكبروا الله على ما هداكم ولعلكم تشكرون